Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Hamilton, Commodities Analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And welcome to our short Metals Matters podcast where we highlight the key things you need to know in global metals and mining this week. Let's start with copper this time around, given it has just been Asia Copper Week after all. Coming into this, I'd say broader market sentiment towards copper has been somewhat anemic. LME week was pretty depressing in the end, and energy transition fears, as we discussed in the last Metal Matters, have been weighing on financial market positioning. We're at above $8,000 a tonne, however. This, this underlying copper price certainly isn't terrible, and the price is actually up on that scene at the same point in 2022. It is, though, below our long-run expectation, and hence not providing the necessary price prompt for investments in new capacity. So, in terms of the current market situation, if we take out the negative prevailing sentiment, underlying market indicators in China continue to trend more positive. The import arbitrage is open. The Shanghai Copper Premium over LME cash has risen to the highest level in 18 months. Spot TCRCs are falling and very, very crucially, bonded stocks are at the lowest level seen in the last decade. This might not, of course, tell the full story, but these indicators also don't point to a weak copper market in the world's largest consumer at the present time. It's worth remembering that if we were to go back to this time last year and look to 2023, it was expected to be a bad year for the copper market with a reasonable surplus and inventory build. Instead, we've seen a balanced market with Chinese demand up year on year and outperforming expectations. Uh, In fact, China's 2023 copper cathode demand is set to be about 20% higher than that seen in 2019's pre-pandemic era, even with a slowing property market. Energy transition-related demand, that's certainly taken up the growth mantle. For 2024, feels a bit like much of the same. The only difference I would say is that expectations of any China property recovery have definitely been pared back. Property has been bad, is bad, and probably will be bad, though my friends at PRC Macro have noted some confidence that public housing push Local government funded, not through developers, will very soon be forthcoming. Anything energy transition is still more than offsetting any property weakness, so and grid investment simply has to be good next year, given it's now constraining new solar installations across a number of provinces. Overall, we've got a 1.9% refined copper demand growth in China next year, slightly down on 2023 growth levels with the overall copper market in a very small surplus of about 175,000 tonnes. Now, Asia Copper Week, of course, also sees the crux of negotiations for annual treatment and refining charges between global miners and Chinese smelters. Hasn't been a definitive conclusion as of yet, but it is all but certain that the terms will fall from last year's $88 per tonne and 8.8 cents per pound, respectively, which all things being equal, means more revenue share to miners and less to smelters in 2024. Let's put that in context. Compared to this time last year, we've seen about a million tonnes of new copper mine supply growth, something unlikely to be repeated in the foreseeable future, given the lack of capex being put to work at present, and yet the concentrate market is tighter than seen at this time last year, and that's on the back of a strong Chinese smelter builder way ahead of expectations. This could certainly be viewed as bullish in light of the tightening market expected in future years. No wonder we're getting suggestions now that China should start capping smelting capacity. And finally, just one quick point on the question I've been asked more than any other over the past two weeks. 
what do the issues with Cobra Panama do to our balance? To that, I say, this is why we have a disruption allowance. We've got 1.2 million tonnes in there for next year, but certainly it would tighten concentrate market expectations further. Only in the event of a full and permanent closure of any asset would we take out our balances. In the last Metal Matters, I highlighted that while the fuel to materials transition may be hitting some occasional speed bumps, uh, in the developed world, China continues to surprise the upside. I'd like to focus for a minute here on the electric vehicle part of this, where we are receiving a lot of incoming. Um, over the past few months, sentiment towards electric vehicles has turned increasingly negative following some revised targets from developed world automakers. And we've now got the prices of electric vehicles falling consistently. So there's actually a temptation to kind of press the pause button on the wider industry growth trend. But what I'd say, this is actually a natural development as we've seen a lot of investment and companies now have to battle for market share in a highly competitive environment. Also helps to lower one of the key barriers to wider EV penetration, and that's affordability. So after some years of fast growth and much excitement, the global electric vehicle market is simply now maturing and dealing with the natural growing pains that come with that. And in this market share battle, well, Chinese companies have the clear lead. There is one misnomer about the current situation, that's that overall sales are down. They aren't. EV sales are hitting new highs and are well on track to exceed our forecast made earlier this year. Market share battles with falling product prices tend to drive better demand, which for EVs means higher penetration rates. Um, what do we expect? I'd be expecting to see more of a trend towards Chinese exports into built and road countries. I think it's really interesting to consider the recent Stellantis acquisition of a stake in Shishang Leap Motor, which um, Bloomberg notes is the 36th largest EV producer in China. So it gives Stellantis access to R&D and automated driving technology. Now, potentially, this could be the start of a sea change in the potential EV model for developed world automakers. They're behind on raw materials, they're behind on technology. Well, if you can't beat them, join with them and partner with Chinese firms to limit their technology deficit. But of course, legislation is likely to get in the way of that. Underlying demand for battery raw materials still pretty healthy, but at present, the value chain does look well stocked with material. Of all the metals we cover, perhaps none has been more frustrating this year than palladium. A week ago, the price dropped below $1,000 an ounce for the first time since 2018. And for context, 18 months ago, that price was $3,400 an ounce. This will be a year palladium producers will want to forget. And yet, from a high-level perspective, and in terms of fundamentals, things should have been better. South African output is down circa 10% year-on-year. Russian mine supply is still subpar, and crucially, global light vehicle sales are about 2 million units above the levels we expected. Now, in a market where about 90% of demand comes from catalysts, that's a clear tailwind. So, where's the problem? SFA Oxford has always had a pretty good feel for this market, and I'll paraphrase some of its comments here. Number one, OEMs are still destocking, having overordered in the aftermath of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Number two, automakers are nervous about 2024 sales forecasts. Um, with new emission standards coming in across key regions, there's a need to shift inventory, so they're naturally cautious on spot raw material purchases. Number three, trimetal catalysts continue to gain market share, which actually lowers average palladium loadings. And number four, well, as we just discussed, EV sales actually remain pretty strong. And even with a higher hybrid share this year, that hurts palladium demand. 
with Folly Palladium and indeed Rhodium prices, we're now trading hard into the PGM cost curve and expect some supply adjustment and guidance downgrades into 2024. Given futures positioning is ultra short at present, this could see a covering rally into your end. But if I'm honest, conviction on this is pretty low given the events so far this year. Finally this week, I want to briefly discuss silver demand as we now have the latest Silver Institute projections for 2023 as compiled by Metals Focus. It was always going to be tough to match the record demand numbers seen in 2022 and the Silver Institute numbers show demand is set to fall about 10% year on year to 1.14 billion ounces. Put this in context however, that's still the second highest level on record, something that's not true of the other precious metals. For most metals, this year India's been the shining light in terms of demand. For silver, it's the complete opposite. After a huge surge in Indian demand last year, it went back to normality with a bit of a bump in 2023. Um, how do we reference this? Well, global jewellery and silverware demand are set to drop about 22% and 47% year-on-year respectively. But take India out and jewellery would be up. And silverware down just 12% year-on-year. We also saw a 46% year-on-year decline in Indian physical investment, with global volumes down 21%, and ETFs are seeing net outflows for the second consecutive year. Now, this all sounds bad, but there is one very important positive. Industrial demand is well on track for a new record level, with the Silver Institute numbers showing 632 million ounces this year. So where's this going? 5G networks, automotive electronics, and... Crucially, photovoltaics. That 160 gigawatts of Chinese solar additions this year that, that I've talked about, that's a lot of silver, even with further thrifting. What's really interesting to think about is that the thrifting trend of the past decade might be set to reverse. BNEF, recent publication there, that's highlighted that in an effort to increase solar module capacity and efficiency, many Chinese solar companies are looking at new designs, including heterojunction and topcon cells. Now, this new technology is reported to use significantly more silver than incumbent designs. These numbers suggest that perhaps new technologies could be even three times more silver intensive than what we're seeing at the moment. So currently, you've got about 160 million ounces of silver used in photovoltaics on an annual basis. That's about 15% of global demand. We do, though, expect this to increase over time. And with the energy transition angle and easy access to investment, we also expect net ETF inflows over the coming years. Thank you for listening to Metal Matters. I do hope you found it a pleasant way to spend 10 minutes of your time. And please join me in a couple of weeks for the next discussion of those important topics shaping global metals and bulk commodity markets. That was Metal Matters presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Metal Matters on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers, or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more episodes, including our other podcast series, BMO Equity Research in Tune. If you have feedback or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please do share it with me at colin.hamilton at bmo.com. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.com.
www.bemocapitalmarkets.com forward slash public hyphen disclosure.